Brandon Jackson is one of more than 1,500 people incarcerated in Louisiana on non-unanimous verdicts, which the United States Supreme Court ruled unconstitutional last year. Will he get a chance at freedom? In this week's AJ Long Reads, a Jim Crow jury prisoner fights for freedom. Written by Nicholas Crastill. Read by me, Mike Paul. New Orleans, Louisiana. The Bossier Parish Courthouse is located in the town of Benton in northwest Louisiana, about a 30-minute drive from Molly People's home in Shreveport, the former Confederate capital of the state. It is where, nearly 25 years ago, her son, Brandon Jackson, was convicted of participating in an armed robbery and sentenced to life in prison. Now, each trip to the squat, beige building flanked by gas stations and fast food restaurants has come to represent her enduring commitment to him and his struggle for freedom. In 25 years, she hasn't missed a court date. I want him to know that he's worthy, she explained recently. No matter how long he's going to be in prison or whatever's going to happen, he would never be forgotten. His mama will never, ever forget him. Sometimes a hearing gets delayed. Molly will drive home, wait for another hearing, then return again to the courtroom. In the past, she was able to see her son face to face. Now, because of COVID-19, she wears a mask and he appears on a screen from the David Wade Correctional Center, a state prison more than an hour away. In July, she made the trip again, rattling off the directions she knows so well to a reporter in the driver's seat. Another hearing was scheduled. Brandon says he's innocent of robbing a restaurant at gunpoint along with an accomplice and taking more than $6,000 in cash. At his trial, two of the 12 jurors who heard the evidence against him agreed. After deliberation, they voted not guilty. It didn't matter. In Louisiana at the time, only 10 out of 12 jurors were required to agree on a verdict in order to convict or acquit someone of a crime. It was one of only two states in the country, along with Oregon, where non-unanimous verdicts were allowed. That's changed, and if Brandon were brought up on the same charges today, the split jury vote would mean a mistrial. But in 1997, it meant a conviction. Brandon, who had prior drug convictions, was sentenced to life in prison under the state's habitual offender law. The sentence was later reduced to 40 years. Molly is in her 70s now, and her health has made these frequent courthouse trips more difficult. In January, not long after Brandon learned he had been denied parole, she suffered an aortic aneurysm requiring major surgery. She now uses a walker to get around and is prescribed a wide range of medications she takes daily. She keeps up with the regimen in the hope that she will still be around when, someday, her son walks out of prison a free man. Over the past few years, Molly has had reason to hope that day may come sooner rather than later, as the state of Louisiana and the country as a whole have taken a critical look at the history and practice of non-unanimous jury verdicts. In spring 2018, following a Pulitzer Prize-winning investigation into split jury verdicts by The Advocate and The Times-Picayune, the Louisiana legislature moved to put the issue on the ballot, a constitutional amendment that would require unanimous verdicts going forward. That November, 
Louisiana voters overwhelmingly approved the change. But it would only apply to cases initiated on or after January 1, 2019, more than two decades after Brandon, now 49, was arrested. Then, last year, in a case called Ramos v. Louisiana, the United States Supreme Court held that the law allowing split jury conviction was one pillar of a comprehensive and brutal program of racist Jim Crow measures against African Americans, especially in voting and jury service, and was unconstitutional. That ruling, however, only applied to people who still were in the appeals process. Brandon had exhausted his direct appeals before the Ramos decision, so he, along with at least 1,500 people in Louisiana who were convicted on split jury verdicts, remains in prison. Earlier this year, the Supreme Court issued a new ruling on non-unanimous verdicts. It was another Louisiana case, Edwards v. Vannoy. This time, the court ruled that it would not force states to give new trials to people like Brandon. To Brandon, there was dissonance in the two rulings. How could the court rule that the practice was unconstitutional, but not require states to revisit those cases that were impacted by it? You have a law that you rule and that, you know, that's ruled unconstitutional, Brandon said in a recent interview. But from my understanding, we're all under the same constitution. So you're saying that the constitution only applies to this part, but not this part. Lawyers are still fighting in the state court system and in the Louisiana legislature to get new trials for people like Brandon. They say that by lowering the bar for a conviction, non-unanimous verdicts were more likely to result in innocent people being sent to prison. They also point to the racist origins of the law, which they say was intended to silence the voices of black jurors and convict black defendants. Brandon's case, his lawyers say, is a prime example. At his trial, the two jurors who voted not guilty were black, and like 80% of people still incarcerated on non-unanimous verdicts, Brandon Jackson is black. While the newer Supreme Court ruling in the Edwards case dampened his hopes, there was still a chance that the Bossier Parish District Attorney could decide to vacate Brandon's conviction based on the Ramos ruling. Alternatively, the district judge could decide that he was entitled to a new trial. Following the ruling in Ramos, Brandon, along with hundreds of other people still in prison on split jury verdicts, rushed to file petitions for new trials. That request was what the judge was to consider in July when Molly headed out to the courthouse. She stepped into the car, carrying her purse and the shoes she would change into when she got there, and said a quick prayer. Amen, she concluded. Let's roll. In 1898, delegates in Louisiana convened at a state constitutional convention with an explicit goal, written in the official journal of the proceedings, to re-establish the supremacy of the white race. When the convention delegates met that year, black men had relatively recently been given the rights of citizenship, the right to vote, the right to hold public office, and the right to be judged by a jury of their peers, including their black peers. A backlash to racial advancement during post-Civil War Reconstruction, the convention produced laws that became staples of the Jim Crow era South. The convention also made a specific change to the way criminal trials were conducted in the state, allowing for split jury verdicts in felony trials. 
It's impossible to separate Jim Crow jury convictions from their history, said Jamila Johnson of the Promise of Justice Initiative, or PJI. Their intent was to convict more black people and to silence the voices of black jurors. In practice, they convicted more black people and have disproportionately silenced black jurors. Brandon's petition for a new trial is one of more than 1,000 being handled by the New Orleans-based nonprofit, which has been among the state's most visible advocacy organizations for people still in prison on split jury verdicts. At the center of their case for demanding new trials is the history of the law that allowed for split jury verdicts. PJI has dubbed such verdicts Jim Crow jury convictions. The limited available data on the issues bears out Johnson's conclusion about the effects of the law. The Pulitzer Prize-winning series by The Advocate in 2018, analysing hundreds of non-unanimous verdicts between 2011 and 2016, showed that black defendants were more likely to be convicted by a non-unanimous jury than white defendants, and that black jurors were over twice as likely to disagree with the majority verdict than white jurors. If Brandon Jackson wasn't given a new trial, his lawyers argued in his petition, it would express acquiescence in structural racism. The state could not prohibit black jurors from serving altogether without running afoul of the US Constitution. It could, however, allow for the appointment of local jury commissioners, who would limit their number by determining who was qualified. And for those who made it to service, split jury laws could make their votes irrelevant. The delegates of the 1898 convention did not explicitly state any racist intent when agreeing on the non-unanimous jury law, but legal scholars have argued that it was to defer federal intervention and that the purpose could be clearly deduced given their broader political goals of disenfranchising black people. Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch wrote in the majority opinion in Ramos that, with a careful eye on racial demographics, the convention delegates sculpted a facially race-neutral rule permitting 10-2 verdicts in order to ensure that African-American juror service would be meaningless. It's impossible to say how many people were convicted by split juries in Louisiana because courts did not consistently maintain records of how jurors voted. There was no requirement that the juries be polled unless defence counsel or the prosecution asked for polling, Johnson with PJI said. So in many cases, that never happened, and we'll never know. The crime that Brandon was convicted for occurred on July 17, 1996, around 2.15am. Two masked men with guns entered the back door of the Applebee's restaurant in Bossier Parish. They tied up the manager and two employees and robbed the store of more than $6,000 in cash and $2,500 in gift cards. Nobody was injured. What sticks out with Brandon's case, as what sticks out with so many of the men and women's cases that we have with non-unanimous jury verdicts, Johnson said, and it's that there are serious doubts as to guilt. The accuracy of these convictions are really in doubt. There was no physical evidence that tied Brandon Jackson to the crime he was convicted of. The prosecutor's argument during trial rested primarily on the testimony of an alleged co-conspirator who said Jackson was involved in the robbery. Another witness, who was not alleged to have taken part in the robbery, said Brandon had been involved in a discussion about the robbery weeks before it took place. One of the employees at the Applebee's that night was Joseph Young, who was dating Brandon's sister at the time. 
Initially, when interviewed by police, Young claimed that he was unable to identify either of the perpetrators due to their masks. But later into the investigation, he changed his story and said he had in fact been a co-conspirator in the crime, letting the perpetrators in the back door. Young led police to his mother's house where he showed them the guns that were allegedly used in the crime, along with over $500 in cash he said he got for facilitating the robbery. He also told them Brandon Jackson had been one of the men who had carried it out. It was one of several times Young would change his story. Al Jazeera and The Lens obtained a videotape recording of Young that was taken in August 1996, prior to Brandon's trial, but after Young had implicated him in the crime. In the video, Young tells Brandon's lawyer that neither of the men who robbed the Applebee's matched Brandon's build, and that he didn't know who they were. The tape, however, was withheld from the jury because the judge ruled that it would violate attorney-client privilege, despite the fact that Brandon's attorney never represented Young in the case. Young had an incentive to testify against Brandon. In exchange for cooperating with the prosecution, Young served just three months in jail and was placed on probation. The testimony of Ken Fuller, who told police he overheard the conversation between Brandon, Brandon's brother, and Young regarding the robbery before it took place, also had some issues. Fuller had been smoking weed with Brandon's brother that day, and when asked by prosecutors at trial what role Brandon played in the conversation, he said, It was just so much going on, I just couldn't really tell. The evidence, it seems, was not enough for the two jurors who voted not to convict Brandon. Al Jazeera and The Lens were able to track down one of those black jurors and spoke with her on the condition of anonymity. She said that her vote that day was based on lack of evidence. When they presented the case and when we deliberated, I was not convinced that it was proven that he was guilty, she said. No one was able to say that they knew it was Brandon, they recognised him, that they knew his mannerisms. No one was able to say enough to convince me that they were sure that it was him that committed the robbery. She said that when she made her doubt about Brandon's guilt known to the rest of the jurors, it was blown down. I mean, they dismissed it, she said. Her decision to remain anonymous, she said, was because it could have a negative effect on her employment. I wouldn't want it to get back to my bosses, she said, because they think a lot like the people on the jury did. He's a criminal, let's get him off the street, let's lock him up. Or maybe even, he's a black man, let's lock him up. Juror Stacy Marks, who is white, said the witness testimony was only part of what prompted her vote to convict, a decision that she still has no doubts about. One reason, she said, had to do with the way Brandon handled himself during the trial. She felt Brandon was overconfident. Something about his demeanour, like he was trying to win us over to his side with his smile, she said. He made a lot of eye contact. Brandon, however, said that he had just been doing what his lawyer instructed him to do. He said always give the jury eye contact, Brandon said. So if she based her decision on the way that I look, what does that say about the type of world that we live in? Marx also said that the fact that the two jurors who voted not guilty were black did not make her question the verdict in Brandon's case, because it was possible that they were only dissenting because Brandon was black himself. The black juror denied that she had dissented because of Brandon's race. It does not make me think differently, 
because did they vote for him not to be guilty because he was black or did they vote for him not to be guilty because of the facts, she said. And we don't know. I don't know. When the US Supreme Court ruled in the Edwards case that people like Brandon were not entitled to a new trial, it was not entirely unexpected, and advocates had already been thinking of a backup plan. In addition to filing individual petitions for new trials in courts across the state, they were also pushing a bill at the Louisiana State Legislature in Baton Rouge that would change procedural timelines so that anyone with a split jury conviction would get a new trial. That bill got a hearing in the House Committee on the Judiciary in May of 2021. The main opposition to the bill stemmed from the Louisiana District Attorneys Association, which represents the elected prosecutors throughout the state. If the bill passed, they argued, it would place an undue burden on local DAs who would need to review the cases and decide whether or not they would retry them. They also said they were concerned about the potentially painful effect on victims and their families of reopening cases with 10-2 verdicts, along with the logistical difficulties involved with retrying them. But at the hearing on May 27th, no one showed up to express those concerns. Instead, there was over an hour of emotional testimony on the racist history of non-unanimous jury verdicts and their unreliability in determining guilt. Brandon waited to learn of the outcomes from inside David Wade Correctional Center in Claiborne Parish. And, as with the Edwards ruling, he would be disappointed. While none of the Republican legislators expressed their reasoning at the hearing, one by one, they voted to kill the bill, which failed on party lines. The majority of the Democratic legislators who voted for it were black. All of the Republicans who voted against were white. When asked why he voted against the bill, Representative Nikki Muscarello, Republican of Hammond, Louisiana, pointed to Edwards' ruling. I feel pretty confident in my vote because the Supreme Court said that the way we did it was correct, Muscarello said. He said that his decision didn't have anything to do with race. What we did was not about race. It was about doing what was right. But other legislators who watched the bill's demise disagreed with Muscarello that the decision could be divorced from the issue of race. There are no black Republicans here, right? Said Ted James, a Baton Rouge Democrat who was instrumental in passing the 2018 bill that sent the decision on unanimity in future criminal cases to the voters. So when they know that the people that this would benefit don't look like them, likely didn't grow up in their neighbourhoods, likely don't know anyone that could contact them, they don't care about it. That, James said, was why white Republicans in the legislature didn't believe it was necessary to expand the unanimity requirement to old cases like Brandon's. So you can't eliminate that the racial element, because I would guarantee you if 80% of the folks that we were talking about were white, the bill would have passed, period. Despite the inaction from the United States Supreme Court and the state legislature, one local district attorney has promised to look back at all non-unanimous convictions out of his district. In New Orleans, shortly after taking office this year, Jason Williams vacated 22 convictions of people in prison on split jury verdicts and ended up striking plea deals with many defendants that allowed them to get out of prison. But other prosecutors in the state have not followed Williams's lead. That includes the Bossier Parish DA's office, which prosecuted Brandon's case. After some technical difficulties were taken care of by court staff, Brandon appeared on a video conference screen in the Bossier Parish courtroom, 
where Molly Peoples had been waiting for more than an hour for the judge to make a decision on his petition for a retrial. Instead, he put the decision off until a future date. It's like we're in a holding pattern, Molly said outside of the courthouse. They just don't want to turn him loose. In August, after suggesting to Al Jazeera and the Lens that he would look into the case, Bossier Parish District Attorney Skylar Marvin sent a letter saying there was ample evidence to support the conviction and he would not support a new trial for Brandon. It is impossible to speculate with any degree of certainty whether or not Mr Jackson's verdict would have been any different if the jury had been charged with unanimity, Marvin wrote. My office will not vacate and retry convictions solely because of a non-unanimous verdict. Since then, prosecutors have filed a formal objection. Another hearing is scheduled for later this month. For Molly, however, every delay increases her doubt that she will ever be able to see her son again as a free man. I don't have long, she said. I ask God to allow me to live long enough to see him go free. But at this rate, I'm not going to make it. This story was produced in partnership with The Lens. I hope you enjoyed this week's AJ Long Reads, A Jim Crow Jury Prisoner Fights for Freedom. Written by Nicholas Crastill and read by me, Mike Paul. If you're looking to settle into a docudrama podcast, have a listen to our original series, Hindsight, narrated by Charles Dance. Season three is coming, but here's a quick listen to previous episodes. I bet you couldn't wait for that noose to be wrapped around my neck. Ever wonder what history's most famous and infamous people would say if you asked them for their side of the story? I believed in the Arabs' cause, and that changed everything. Well, this is it. I'm Charles Dance. Hindsight, a dramatized podcast that resurrects some of the world's most memorable figures by recreating their past. I refused to follow the herd, so I didn't. I just stayed there. The famous and infamous of politics and culture. They had been looking for new talent, someone to change the face of French music. And they chose me. History and society. My critics were dying for me to fail. It felt good to disappoint them. Heroes and villains. The term is double agent. These are the stories of their lives based on documented events and their own words. There was nowhere I could go to escape Lawrence of Arabia. Me, Mohammed Morsi, president of Egypt? You've heard of them? Dame Zaha Hadid. But now it's time to hear from them. And so, Dalida was born. I am Saddam Hussein and Majid. Hindsight, from Al Jazeera wherever you get your podcasts.